We are living in a time where a JPEG can sell for a million dollars. Celebrities openly endorse Ponzi schemes. And when what you've invented doesn't matter nearly as much as what you say you've invented. As snake oil increasingly becomes our new currency, regulators and lawmakers are asleep at the wheel, while pay-to-play journalists pump out puff pieces from their slurp-juice-induced hangovers. Join us as we explore the dizzying, unending roster of these 2020s-era rackets. Welcome to the age of Griftonomics. Speculation has become crazy. Once you follow the conversation of this bottle, you have enormous trouble. Just turn this one dial. The most powerful eutrophic I've ever taken. Owning a share in American industry is like owning a share in the future of our nation. Bacon it until you make it. Now is the time to buy. And then all of a sudden you change the world. Go mortgage your house and buy Bitcoin with it. Doing what you want to do in life is like being on vacation every single day. Hello and welcome to Griftonomics. In the last year or so, you might have heard a lot about something called Web3 and how it's going to change everything we know about the internet. A lot of bold claims have been made and a lot of money has been invested. But what exactly is the supposedly revolutionary new technology? Is it going to change the world or is it just another grift? To help us answer those questions, today we're joined by Molly White, software engineer, long-term contributor to Wikipedia and editor of Wikipedia and maintainer of uh, web3isgoinggreat.com, which I recommend everybody check out. Molly, welcome and thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, so, you know, actually know a lot more about Web3 than I do, even though I was involved in uh, the crypto space back in the day. I think you've been more at the forefront. So I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about your your background um, and how you got into the space. Um, Web3 is going great.com and just like what inspired you to create that? Sure. Um, so my background is as a software engineer. Um, I did that, you know, that's where my education is. And then I've also worked full time in that space uh, for a couple years now. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the crypto thing goes, um, I sort of recently got into paying attention to it. Um, I had, you know, I had been aware of Bitcoin and crypto and, and all that stuff for, you know, a decade or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. I sort of never really was super interested in it personally. It just sort of was an, a neat thing that, you know, other people were more interested in. Um, yeah. I've, I've never personally been super interested in like speculative financial investments or anything right, like right. that, which is mm-hmm. kind of what I always thought it, it seemed to be. Um, but I started to pay a little more attention to it last year when I started to hear more about this whole Web3 thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like that term suddenly became popular and I was having some trouble figuring out what it even was. Um, you know, people, were, it was like used in a lot of marketing material and like descriptions of new companies that were starting. But mm-hmm. I was like, but but what is it? You know, um, and so I sort of set out to figure out what it was. And in doing so, uh, became pretty concerned both about um, the ideas that people were, were, you know, starting to describe as the future of the web, but mm-hmm. also just the general number of projects that I was seeing that were in this sort of Web3 space that were just blatantly scammy or, uh, you know, just really bad ideas, a lot of them, mm-hmm. or, you know, had poor enough security that they were being hacked all the time. 
Um, And so that's when I started Web3 is Going Great, which is my project where I just sort of keep a list of the ongoing examples of how Web3 is not going so great. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great website. Are you the only maintainer of the the website today? I am. Yeah. Awesome. And how do you keep up to date with like all the all the many scams that are imploding? Um, at first I definitely had to go out and source a lot of it myself. So I would have to, you know, go check the crypto publications or see what was happening on the subreddits and and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. I still do a lot of that, but now that the website is a little bit more popular, people also just send me stuff a lot of the time. So if someone gets hacked or, you know, if there's a big scam, I'll usually get a bunch of people like tagging me on Twitter and stuff to to add it to the site. You don't monetize the website, right? No, I don't. Awesome. Yeah, that's I think that's important. Like I with this podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure not to monetize it either, because I think, you know, one, I, I don't need the extra money. This is more of a passion project. But two, I think there is some people that when they go into kind of skepticism as a as a way to make money, um, you, you, you not only I think can can inher- kind of uh, inherit some biases, but also you open yourself to kind of that criticism. I've seen a lot of skeptics that like have Patreon. So their skepticism kind of be like, well, you're just in it because you're making a buck off it. Um, but that's awesome. Yeah, well, as someone who doesn't make uh, money from crypto skepticism, I have found that it does not stop people from assuming that you are. Um, <laughs> I've had a lot of people like even just today, someone was like, you're, you know, turning your career into a, a crypto blogger. And I was like, how is it a career if I'm not being paid for it? <laughs> it's like, I yeah. don't think you know what a job is. <laughs> yeah, the math doesn't really work there. Um, yeah. No, I, I know a lot of people used to think I was secretly a secret agent of the banks or something like that. Um, so I'm used to it too. Um, but anyway, back to the topic at hand. So Web3, the name implies, and I've seen it used in both web just three kind of one word and then web 3.0 um but i was wondering if you talk a little bit about kind of the beginnings of it um and and what maybe if, if we had to try and find you know, i know it's very nebulous but we had to put a definition around it like what is web 3. yeah so like i said i think i noticed it starting to be used pretty widely sort of mid last year maybe maybe a little bit before that mm-hmm. um and I mean, the idea behind it is that it's the next iteration of the web. So they've sort of started to consider that we're in, like that the current web that most people use today is web 2.0, okay. which is sort of an odd, you know, it's a name that was applied to the current web after this supposed shift happened from what is known as web one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was actually a description of a historical you know, change, whereas Web3 is a description of what people think will happen. Um, in my opinion, at least, I, I don't think there, I don't think there's a lot, you know, there's no, um, I don't think there's a solid claim that the web has transitioned to Web3 and that like, mm-hmm. that is the, you know, the significant portion of the web that we interact with today. Um, it's sort of this future vision, which is very unlike what happened with the previous, I guess, numberings of the web. Um, yeah, it was more organic. 
Yeah, it was it was like a description of what happened. Like there was a very big shift, you know, from uh, you know, this sort of read only or or primarily read version of the web where most people who are interacting with the web were just, you know, sort of consuming content. And then with web 2.0, we saw more, you know, social networks and blogging and things like that where more people were sort of creating their own content and and posting mm -hmm. it to the web. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I thought that, you know, I am probably aging myself, but like I definitely kind of came up during the, the web 2.0 revolution, you know, like um, dynamic websites and, and things like that and social media. Um, and I think some of us had assumed that maybe the next version of the web was maybe decentralized, but that's kind of like a dirty word in a way because, you know, um, I know there's a lot kind of this indie web movement where it's like kind of taking the, you know, some of the problems with web 2.0 is like Facebook selling your data. That that's not great. Um, but like, what was, do you think web three was ever that, or, or is that just kind of like a bunch of hobbyists trying to, to do something more decentralized? Like, do you have any thoughts on that? The thing about decentralization is I feel like web one was very decentralized, right? Mm. Like even though there weren't all that many people publishing to the web, you know, most people who were doing so were doing so from their own servers, you know, they were creating their own websites, they weren't using, you know, the Facebooks and the uh, Google clouds and the, you know, those various sure. uh, yeah. places to store their data. And so it's, you know, I think the idea that web three is decentralized is kind of an odd thing to say, because that's not new, you know, a lot of the yeah. decentralization has been around for a really long time. So, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, it's, it's certainly possible that, you know, there will be more of an interest in a decentralized web and that people will start incorporating that into their projects. But I don't know if that alone would earn, you know, a version bump to web three. I feel like that's not it, not that huge of a change. You know, there still are a lot of people who host their own websites and who create yeah. them from scratch and things like that. I think that's a really good point, because even if you look back at the history of like email in, in many senses was, was quite decentralized or at least federated. Right. Um, and right. so um that's a good point which kind of leads me to the next point which is one dis very distinguishing feature that that i that i've noticed about web3 is kind of the the inherent monetization layer of of it and more recently a lot of venture capitalists have gotten involved a lot of large institutions have seemingly gotten behind the the web3 bandwagon and i just saw a stat earlier today that uh, an estimated $33 billion in investment poured into kind of Web3 last year in 2021. Um, what, what are your thoughts about that? And like, do you have any explanation about like kind of why all of a sudden venture capitalists seem to be really into the idea of tearing down the, the supposed Web 2.0 that they just spent the last decade building? Yeah, I mean, that's where a lot of my skepticism comes from, I would say, is you know, people who are talking about Web3 are envisioning this world where, you know, the power is given back to the users and, you know, these big tech companies and venture capital controlled platforms are not the ones, you know, owning your data and doing with it what they will and mm -hmm. things like that. You know, that's the vision that people are presenting, at least. Um, but in reality, we're seeing, you know, venture capitalists come in, we're seeing some of the same big tech companies come in and, and you know, they're either investing money or they're adding, you know, quote unquote, web three features to their existing platforms. And I personally think it's very unlikely that, you know, the venture capitalists or the, the big tech companies have decided 
suddenly that they want to take power away from themselves and, you know, return it to the little guy. And that that's why they're putting all this right. money into it. I think the more likely explanation is that they realize that, you know, they're, especially with all of the financialization built into Web3, there's an enormous opportunity for money making with this. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing stopping the people who are making the money from being those same people who are making the money in Web2. Um, some of them have somehow adopted the same language of, you know, decentralizing the web, giving power back to the users, but that's not that different from what we were hearing in the early days of social networks, um, or, you know, even more recent changes in, um, you know, the tech world around like the gig economy, you know, mm -hmm. which was originally pre presented as a way for, you know, uh, drivers, for example, to like start their own business and run, you know, their, their uh, Uber rides and, you know, they could work on their own schedule and, you know, all this stuff. And then it turned out to be extremely exploitative. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think we're just seeing history repeat itself. And it makes me wonder if, you know, seeing so many large, powerful players get into something that, you know, really spooks this decentralization as a buzzword makes me wonder if, you know, they actually care about that at all, or if their vision truly is is decentralization, or if that's just kind of a branding term um, they've co-opted. Because, like, surely, you know, in, in a lot of this, with all the money, most of the money pouring in probably being from these large investors, it doesn't it in a way set up the, the ecosystem or some of the incentives and the control much the same as, as Web 2.0, in a sense? Yeah, I mean, I think the web in general just like trends towards centralization. That's mm -hmm. just a sort of natural state of things where it's just cheaper and it's often more efficient. You know, it's quicker to to build technology that's fairly centralized. And there are also sort of compelling business use cases for doing that. And so I think, you know, despite the idea that Web3 is decentralized, you know, some people sort of just accept that at face value. When mm -hmm. in reality, it's actually very possible for Web3 projects to be just as centralized as as projects built without a blockchain, you know, um, but people sort of will hand wave at the idea that blockchains are somehow inherently decentralized and take that to mean that the whole, you know, field is decentralized, the whole, you know, arena of Web3 projects are all decentralized just by nature, which is not the truth. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, there's, a, there's an interesting blog post that I was reading, and I think it's probably an outdated one now, by Gavin Wood from Ethereum, who I think actually might have coined the term Web3 like a long time ago. But um, one of the, the interesting pieces I saw was that there was multiple layers explained, and a lot of this kind of ties back to, to layer one as the, the use of, of a blockchain. And you mentioned like, you know, some of the, the benefits of centralization have been efficiency, cost efficiency, things like that. And, you know, most people in this day and age, I think, know that, that blockchains gain their security in a sense through, through inefficiencies. Um, and so I just wanted to talk about, you know, um, is web, can Web3 be efficient or is it always going to be this expensive thing? You know, people have probably heard about like the gas fee problems that have happened um, in, in, you know, the last few months, I know there's been a few notable examples, but um, does, does this kind of, you know, model that, you know, we're going to basically do the web, but the back end is going to be a blockchain. Does that ever become more affordable than a centralized model? Is that even like possible? I mean, 
One very convenient thing about the term Web3 is it's so vague that you can sort of, if you want it to, it can mean anything, you know? Um, so I think people could maybe try to like mold the term a little bit and be like, yeah, it's definitely still Web3 because there's totally a blockchain in there, even though like all of the validators are run by our company in the same, <laughs> you know, data warehouse or whatever. Right. Um, but I, I think, you know, if we were to sort of take the existing, you know, what most people understand to be blockchains uh, and, and ask, you know, could you build the web on top of those? I don't think it is particularly realistic. Um, there are ways to sort of bypass the inherent inefficiency of something like uh, Ethereum. But a lot of those projects sort of are just fighting against the the issues that they themselves have introduced, you know? Gotcha. So I, I think it's an uphill battle and it's one that doesn't have a lot of incentives behind it if mm. you um, sort of, unless you assume that cryptocurrency will continue to go up and to the right sort of indefinitely and that yeah. there is value tied to the, you know, venture capital interest in you using a blockchain. Interesting. Yeah, that was that was going to be my kind of my next question was, you know, if if you came if you truly came up with a way that was free to, to use this technology, would would the interest from from all these people that are that are wealthy kind of dwindle again? Because, oh, I can't make a buck off it. Oh, it, I don't really care about decentralization anymore. It's not, you know, monetizable. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you can sort of track the interest in Web3 along with the value in cryptocurrencies that we've seen. Mm. You know, a lot of the technologies that are considered to be Web3 technologies are not ones that are new in the past, you know, uh, year or two. They've been around for a while. They only got widely interesting when, you know, Ethereum started to be worth a lot of money or, right. you know, cryptocurrencies in general were sort of on an upward trend. Um, I don't, you know, I think that tech companies or technologists who are starting new companies could have decided that they wanted to build on, you know, a blockchain based system five years ago, and they could have all been doing that if they thought the technology was independently interesting and compelling. But I think for the most part, it isn't, you know, I think people mm -hmm. are working with it because they can sort of hook their wagon to the monetary uh, interest in the space and, you know, the user interest in, in discovering these new technologies. But I don't think that, um, you know, if, if Ethereum was worth nothing and if venture capitalists weren't particularly interested in, you know, blockchains as a general idea, there mm -hmm. would be as many companies and individuals building in Web3. That's, that's a really interesting topic. And I, I think, you know, just to take a little detour for a second. I think that um, what's always fascinated me about this kind of uh, technology, whether it's blockchain, Web3, all of it, um, is is the that it, it's really kind of like the first technology that has an inherent financial incentive baked into suspending your disbelief. So it, it has, <laughs> there. there is a, a model built into it where your your a active lack of criticism or or critique just generally of, of the technology is potentially beneficial to your wallet and i think that's different from say a system like you know or, or any technology in the past like whether it's linux or something like that you know you can be a linux 
fanboy or fangirl, but it, you know, by, by going out and yelling at everybody who trashes Linux, you're not making a buck. You know? Um, right. and so, um, do you think that in some ways that like, especially with these people that have started investing large swaths of money in it, do you think the incentive schemes may, you know, in addition to maybe they're just naive or they've, they've drunk the Kool-Aid, do you think that there could be an ongoing kind of incentive for them to, to suspend their, their disbelief? And, Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was very shocking to me as just like a technologist to start talking about crypto and researching crypto, because generally speaking, you know, any technology tends to benefit from criticism. And I found that, you know, technologists are obviously passionate about their own projects or, or projects that they just find interesting. And sometimes to an extent that it's, you know, like a fanboy situation. But for the most part, people sort of appreciate, you know, criticism, you know, if you right. open an issue on someone's GitHub repo, and you say, hey, you've got a bug here, or I don't think this, you know, architecture is going to work, you know, some people will take that as an attack, I'm sure. But for the most part, people are, are like, thank you, I, I want yeah. to improve this technology. And so when I started talking about crypto, and, and people were like, you know, ideologically, uh, tied to it, I was, I was almost surprised. I was like, don't, isn't this a good thing for people to sort of challenge your ideas and, and question whether or not this whole thing is going to work, especially if you're putting your money into it? Like, mm -hmm. I would think maybe it would be good to hear the, the criticism. Um, Interesting. Yeah, because right, I, I think like when I, when I think about, um, you know, Web 2.0 and how it came together, like what we were talking about quite organically and web standards and, you know, web browsers, like, a lot of that actually, I think, came to bear because of that constructive criticism, that kind of, you know, um, we're going to build something better and everybody be like, great, go and go and do that. Like that moves the web forward. I think there was actually some sort of thing called moving the web forward years ago that was mm -hmm. specifically about that. But um, yeah, so it, it just seems the, the tribalism and the financial incentives around Web3 seem counter to that kind of thing. Yeah, and actually to go into that a little bit further, I think there's sort of an interesting disincentive to sort of adapt and grow technologies in um, blockchain-based systems because mm -hmm. they are so difficult to change once they've been created. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of a lot of web technologies benefit by being able to be changed very quickly, and you know they they can they can adapt and grow, and and you know they are very sort of agile in that way. Um, and blockchain-based systems, once they're in place and they have sort of any amount of usership, they become very difficult to change going forward. I mean, we're seeing it with Ethereum to some extent as they talk about the merge, you know, and the, the change mm -hmm. from the proof of work system to proof of stake. Part of why they've been having so much difficulty in doing that and have been so slow to do that and seem to be delaying it somewhat indefinitely is because when you have so many people using the system that is in like intentionally difficult to upgrade and change, it, it actually like gets harder and harder the more people that you have, uh, which is not a good, I think, basis yeah. for technology. And it does not encourage technology to change. The same is true of Bitcoin. Yeah, that that's a really interesting point. Like, for the for the web devs out there, it sounds like Ethereum is kind of like the IE six of of <laughs> uh, of, of Web three right? Because you're right. Once you once you set that the the wheels in motion with that blockchain technology, it's kind of 
you're locked and loaded, it becomes a lot harder to change, right? So, right. And I mean, there are things that sort of are built on top of it that are a little bit more, you know, they can change a little bit more quickly. But as these things sort of shift from being, you know, a new idea, a new technology to becoming sort of the underpinning protocol, almost, mm-hmm. you know, it, it becomes as difficult to change as, you know, like, email or, you know, yeah. if anyone's ever seen IRC, they've been trying to, you know, change IRC for a really long time. And it's so hard to do because there's so many people using it, you know, uh, I think it's a similar thing. And, and you know, we're seeing that uh, this, you know, people will set, sort of simultaneously say, you know, it's still early, it's still early, we're just developing this stuff, it's it's so new. And then it's like, but it's somehow already become so ingrained into the system that it's extremely difficult to change. Yeah, I've, I've always taken issue with that. Like, it's so new as well, because you know, this stuff's been around for like over, you know, a decade now. And, you know, like, at some point, you have to give up the, the kind of like, I'm a new technology card, I think. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, versus providing actual real world benefits. So um, you mentioned, you know, because of some of these issues that there are services that kind of pop up around it to help kind of maybe take care of some of those issues or mitigate them. And I read an interesting piece recently from Moxie, the, the CEO of, of Signal or the ex-CEO, I think now of Signal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was criticizing Web3 in a really you know technical way, um, kind of honing in on how many aspects have re-centralized um, due to the underlying platform deficiencies like exchanges, wallets, you know, the fact that, you know, most people interacting with uh, Ethereum aren't actually interacting with Ethereum. They're doing it through an API, centralized API service. So um, getting back to just, you know, there's one one thing which is like what are the VCs and the promoters are telling you, but there's also just technically the stuff that people are interacting with every day. Is that also a facade? Is it, is there really a lot of decentralization if you if you you know scratch under the surface? No, I mean there really isn't. Uh, Moxie made some really good points in that blog post where like you know even if you were to have the most ideal decentralized you know system in Ethereum, as soon as you start to you know have a significant portion of you know the projects built on top of it interacting with that blockchain through a single API or through a single service, you sort of lose those benefits of decentralization that you've worked so hard to achieve because now you have this single point of failure uh, with the API. And if the API is giving you bad information, then who cares what the blockchain says? You know, there's there's so many um, projects depending on that one system and it's, it's quite centralized. Um, but I think even the claim that the blockchains themselves are decentralized is a bit of a... Uh, mm misunderstanding or a myth at this point. I mean, you know, in the very early days of of Bitcoin and all that, you could say that maybe they were more decentralized in that, you know, anyone with a computer could set up the software and start mining Bitcoin. But today, that's not the case. You know, if I were to take my computer and try to start mining Bitcoin on it, it would not be particularly successful and it would most likely not be profitable. 
And so what's happened is, you know, mining has become centralized among these large organizations that have the resources to put into the very specialized hardware, to spend on the electricity, you know, those types of things in that. So there are these sort of large um, mining farms that are that are doing a lot mm -hmm. of it. Or there are these big mining pools where people will hook up their own computer, but then they join the mining pool. And, and so that's sort of where the control is introduced. Um, and so I think, you know, the actual maintenance of the networks is, is actually a lot more centralized than people sort of think of. A lot of people still picture just like one-off computers running, you know, all right. over the world, when in reality, that's that's actually not the case. And, and the same is true of Ethereum and, and other blockchains as well. It's so interesting because I feel like it's not just like this one layer of re-centralization. It's actually, if you look at it, it's happening at every single layer. And I think, you know, there's a variety of reasons that's happening. Like I think one is that the web, you know, when you visit a web page, it doesn't know how to natively speak blockchain. So there's these, right. these kind of in between. It's actually pinging a centralized server somewhere to get that data. But um, it, it just kind of, the whole thing is a facade. There is no decentralization there at all, really. Like there's there's a lot of trust that you're putting in people. And that was going to be, you know, something I wanted to dig into. Like if the majority of users, when they go to a service like an OpenSea or any kind of Web3 enabled um, kind of platform, if they're doing DeFi or something, and if that's pinging, you know, you know, one of a few of these big, kind of, I think Infura is one, and yep. I, I forget the name of the others, the, these API services, which basically kind of act as a proxy between a user, and correct me if I'm wrong, a user and the and the blockchain. Um, what is stopping those services? Like, those services aren't free to run. Like, I'm sure somebody is paying for service somewhere. So what is stopping from, uh, stopping those operators from monetizing those services in, in, maybe nefarious ways a la you know facebook selling data like does it does it raise issues where you might be able to be tracked even though you think you can't because the you know your ip address to those api calls could be could be tracked like isn't that a not to mention if that server goes down your toast like isn't isn't that a huge concern for people yeah, I mean, I think there is a concern, maybe less so with, with projects like Infura and the, and the APIs themselves, but with the actual central systems that do take a lot more information. Mm. Um, you know, like the centralized exchanges, for example, a lot of them require, you know, know your customer, uh, right. you know, identification and that type of thing, you know, much like a bank would require. Um, and I think people sort of are, they they sort of hold two things to be true in their heads where, you know, on the one hand, they're providing this information to these exchanges, but on the other hand, they're hearing all this stuff about how you're so anonymous and no one can trace you and no one can track you. And and I think, you know, that the, the two things do not actually hold true. You know, you, you actually are quite traceable with blockchains, especially if you are using a centralized exchange that's known to cooperate with the government. And so if you're trying to do things that are maybe a little bit nefarious and you've sort of heard all of this talk about mm -hmm. how blockchains are so decentralized or not decentralized, um, so private and anonymous and things like that. Uh, you know, you can sort of find yourself in a bind there just because things, you know, things are not always as they say they are. Um, but yes, around the API topic, I mean, there there is no reason that Infura couldn't just start providing inaccurate data, you know, that yeah. that isn't actually reflecting the blockchain. Um, and, you know, 
I don't know if they have a huge monetary incentive to do that, but they, they certainly could, you know, and I think mm. um, more importantly, it sort of goes against the the sort of ethos of it all. You know, I'm I'm right. personally not hugely opposed to trusting, you know, large APIs and, and providers sure, of that sure. data. I think it actually works decently well and there are sort of incentives and, and uh, uh, consequences in place for, for people who misuse that. Um, but if you're talking about how the blockchain is so secure and there's so much decentralization and it's always, you know, the blockchain is the source of truth and it can't be messed with, you know, then you have to really start to question some of the ways that people are actually using that data. Um, I think one sure, thing that yeah. has really happened with um, with just the topic of blockchains in general is that people sort of conflate how things are in reality with how things could be. Um, mm. And they speak of things almost in the present tense when they're actually talking about, well, in theory, blockchains could be very decentralized. And they sort of miss the the, the detail that, but they're not right now, even though they could be. Um, gotcha. With all these, you know, big platforms. Yeah, I think APIs. it's maybe a little bit of wishful thinking, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, that that's interesting. But getting back to the API thing, like the sure, Infura might not have a a reason to to start sending the wrong data, but surely being the kind of arbiters or the the providers of that data to so many people and the way they interact with with these systems, doesn't it? It would paint a, a very large target on on the the operators of those on the backs of those operators, right? Because, um, you know, in a way they, they have as much power as a, a bank or somebody administering like the, the visa system, right? Because mm -hmm. they could, if you were intercepting and messing around with those API requests, you could surely wreak some havoc, right? Yeah. And not only that, but you know, the company, one of the companies that, that controls one of these major APIs is the same company that controls MetaMask. So, you know, not oh. only are you talking about, you know, one API, you're talking about this whole ecosystem of software that, that is, you know, all controlled by one company. And it is a very big single point of failure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, it's just a very big domino that could fall. And from right. where I kind of interesting, interesting. Um, the before we go on to just like some of like what what has been working and what hasn't which i know you have a lot of experience with um thanks to web3 is going great i did want to just um kind of anchor back on on some of the the gas fees stuff and you know one of the things i think that you know uh, especially for the the lay person who isn't you know up to speed on on on, it, on everything web3 they probably think in their mind well web3 just because it's one number bigger is going to be better than web two, right? And, um, you know, one of the things that I've seen is that it, it just isn't free to operate on web three. And to me, that seems like a pretty big, you know, one of, one of the big things with web one, I guess, and web two has been that it feels so weird to call them that is that they've been completely free. You know, you know, I, I'm guessing as, a, as an editor of Wikipedia, for instance, you'd know this, like the, the knowledge is free. Everybody can access it. Everybody can contribute for free. Great. Um, like it's gotten really expensive, right? Recently to, to interact. I know it, it ebbs and flows, but it's gotten very expensive as far as I know to interact with some of these systems. And like, how does that not just main become like a huge barrier to entry to the average person adopting web three? It does, I think. I mean, you know, with these projects where you basically have to pay up front to be, you know, to be able to interact with them at all, I think 
people sort of don't realize that even what might seem like a very small fee to to one person can be an enormous, if not insurmountable barrier to entry for another person, which really doesn't jibe with a lot of the talk around, you know, democratizing the internet and making it so that everyone can engage and leveling the playing field. Um, So it's an odd it's an odd sort of state of the world. Um, I think the argument that people often try to make is, well, you know, with Web2, it might be free in a monetary sense, but you're the product. They're taking your data and they're selling it or they're taking your content that you worked so hard on and now they own it and all of that, um, which is kind of an interesting argument. And, you know, I have similar concerns around, you know, just online data privacy and sort of the surveillance Mm. by large companies and and things like that uh, myself. But I don't see Web3 as the solution to them because a lot of the data with Web3 still remains accessible to anyone who wants to to interact with it. And people basically say, but it's yours. You can own it now. When in reality, like (laughs) it doesn't really matter if it's stored, you know, on the blockchain connected to you or on someone else's server. The big deal is whether or not these big companies can access it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, even even if they make that argument that, you know, you know, Facebook isn't collecting your data anymore, you know, it, the data is still out there, right? For, right? for people, somebody, at least either on the blockchain or, or, you know, that's acting as a middleman to collect. So it's not like it's not like that all goes away. Yeah, and there's some kind of odd arguments around the ownership of data that I've seen as well, where Mm. people will actually talk about, you know, taking the same data that Facebook or whoever might collect today, and basically enabling the individual user to somehow sell that data themselves. And it's like, you can profit off your data now instead (laughs) of Facebook, as though Facebook is somehow profiting off of like a single user's data and not the sort of enormous amount of data that they collect in the aggregate. Um, I think people just have sort of constructed this very simple mental model of like data is valuable to Facebook. Therefore, my individual data has a monetary value that I too can extract from it, which I don't think actually holds up to scrutiny. Yeah, that's that's such a weird. Yeah. And I, you know, it's not people's fault like i think a lot of people especially who haven't worked in tech probably don't have the understanding of how mass data collection is what's required to train models and do all of that stuff but yeah it it absolutely isn't as simple as you know my my facebook profile is worth 60 dollars. like it doesn't that that doesn't exist um so yeah it's a strange strange comparison um interesting so kind of moving on to like some what's been happening in the space like as i said your website is a fantastic kind of catalog of of its many many uh ups and downs uh mostly failures um there's been a lot of hacks there's been a lot of exploits um and in some cases where they're sloppy just obvious downright fraud um you know how would you say things are panning out for this next generation of the internet um (laughs) Well, uh, so far, I would say it's not going so great, you know, despite the name. (laughs) Um, It's been pretty unbelievable just to see the volume of scams and hacks and and just disasters that seem to be unfolding in Web3 projects. Um, You know, it's, it's pretty remarkable that 
you'll see the, the sort of same things happening over and over and over again as if, you know, people aren't learning from mistakes or, you know, both on the, the builder side of things and on the user side of things. It feels like people are just getting burned over and over again, um, mm -hmm. which is very bizarre to watch, especially when I also, on the other hand, will see all of this very credulous reporting about Web3 as the future of the web and, right. you know, the, the new uh, iteration of all the things. Um, you know, it's it's almost these two very different perspectives uh, where one seems very focused on, again, like the ideas and the theory of what could one day be true. Whereas, you know, when you're looking at what's actually happening today, it, it does not look like anything that's ready for the scale of the Internet at large. Yeah. And it, what, what's interesting to me is that there doesn't seem to be any... Um any kind of oversight into any of this. And, you know, this is a long-standing thing that has always been the case in, in crypto more broadly, but for Web3 specifically, um, you know, there's a lot of governing bodies in that, that, that look at the internet as it stands today. You know, people are probably familiar with GDPR. People are probably familiar with, you know, the California Data Privacy Act um, and things like that. You know, the reason why you have those accept cookies boxes everywhere. Um, do you think there's a reason, you know, where there's been actually a lot more blatant fraud probably happening in Web3 than people, you know, people are selling data brokers, selling your data is one thing based on your third party cookie info, but just f downright fraud and massive hacks through, you know, cross-site uh, injection and stuff like that. It feels like it's something that eventually regulators will have to one day take a look at, right? Especially if, you know, you know, I, I hope this isn't what happens, but if, if for some reason Google decides that they're going to make Chrome into a Web3 browser, like, <laughs> what are your thoughts about that? Do you think that we eventually start to see some, some clamping down or do you think this is just going to remain the absolute wild west? It's been very strange to observe because a lot of people have sort of taken the perspective as though the regulations that exist on the web today somehow don't apply to web three at all. Hmm. They're like, it's the new version of the web. We can do right. anything we want, you know, which is not true. You know, GDPR <laughs> should still apply the same way that it does to, you know, existing, uh, you know, more traditional software. Um, you know, there are all kinds of things that people should be complying to, you know, people still shouldn't be able to operate op like obvious Ponzi schemes, for example. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter if there's a blockchain involved or not. So it's been a little bit weird to see regulation be so uh, inconsistently and slowly applied, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. Although I do feel like in recent months, we've been seeing a little bit more of um, examples of regulators stepping in and, and doing so more quickly, um, which has been somewhat heartening to me, although, you know, it, it still feels like the complete wild west uh, to it's me just as so well. interesting because I, I feel like what's had to happen is is almost a, a kind of an air of community regulation in 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 you know websites like yours needing to exist there's i know some youtubers like coffeezilla and there's a bunch of twitter users that post about this stuff as well but um if if it weren't for those outlets there there doesn't seem to be a lot of people shining a a spotlight on on many of the failures. I think there's probably a will, more of a willingness just to you know, push it under the rug. We don't want to, we want to talk about the failures, you know. Right. 
Yeah, and the the fact that it has been left to people who have the time and the interest and the, you know, resources to do so means that mm. it's, you know, woefully underreported. So even though I feel like I'm adding just an enormous quantity of things to my website, uh, drawing from those types of groups, or, or even now there's starting to be um, sort of scam reporting groups that are actually monetizing it you know services that are basically <laughs> they're basically auditing projects or you know right. trying to warn people if they detect scams and things like that but even for what has developed you know it's it's nothing compared to having real regulatory oversight with you know actual weight behind it um because if you know zach xbt on twitter discovers you know some project that's obviously a scam he still can't shut them down or, right. you know, yeah. he can't prosecute them or anything like that. He can just sort of hope that the information gets out there and people stop engaging with it. Interesting. Yeah. I Well, we can only hope. But in the meantime, I think it's it's good that there are people, good Samaritans out there kind of raising awareness of this stuff. Um, so, you know, the question we, we ask on this show is, is this a grift? And if so, like... Who who's getting rich here? Who who stands to benefit the most? I mean, I do think it is a grift um, by and large. You know, I don't mm -hmm. think that every single person who goes into Web three is a grifter, but I think that overwhelmingly, that the things that come out of it tend to be <laughs> quite grifty. Um, right. I as far as who's profiting from it, I mean, I think it's pretty clearly the people who get in early. You know, the people who create these projects or who you know buy into them, you know, before they even launch. Mm. Um, and people like venture capitalists who are, again, I mean, it's the same thing. They get in early before, you know, the hoi polloi have the option to, to mm -hmm. put their money in. And then they extract that money from, you know, the average person who is still hoping that they're getting in early, even though they don't have the same opportunity to get in, you know, at the, at the really... And that's a really stage. important call out. Like, I think a lot of people don't realize, but the, in, in these schemes, you know, just because that you think you're in the, in the pre-release doesn't mean there wasn't a pre pre-release to all of right. the, the VCs. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. People get so excited about getting in early on, you know, the day one of these projects and like, no, you don't understand. There's a day zero that you weren't invited to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. Like, I and I think it's that they do a lot to kind of keep that under wraps so that the people don't know until it's you know too late. Um, but it's just, it's just wild to me because I think you know in in the days of you know Web two dot oh, it it never used to be that if you were excited about a project you had to pay or get in early. You know, it was yeah. kind of like well, I'll check that out on the weekend. You know, when I have some time to play around with this fun new thing. That's it's so different. Um, so just in that vein is, you know, there, there are a lot of people that are losing money, unfortunately, on this. Um, how, like, would you advise the best way people can learn more, um, that they can protect themselves? And if you have any tips just to, like, keep people from, from falling victim to this kind of thing? I mean, my advice, you know, the best way to not lose money is not to put any money in in the first place, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, I understand may not be popular with someone who <laughs> hopes that they will find that one project that will make it big for them. Right. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, I think, you know, the, the, the advice that you'll usually hear, which is, you know, do your own research. 
um, is just not achievable for the average person. You know, there's so much that you don't have access to in terms of, you know, how these projects are actually being run. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much often very technical or, you know, economically complex information that people sort of have trouble parsing um, that, you know, doing your own research is actually sort of only scraping the surface usually. So, you know, my advice is, is really just not to engage with it. I, I don't think it is a, you know, the, the risk reward is, is just too far off kilter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. Like it, it's probably just not to do your own research is, is something that is, is very hard. Um, especially in, in this day and age where, you know, search results are probably being manipulated um, in, in We've various seen ways. Several actually recent hacks where people have managed to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh, there you go, right? Yeah. Um, I think if there's if there's a way to uh, kind of quell criticism or um, only only promote your thing, I think people will find those exploits. And I think the other problem is, you know, you also have celebrities on Super Bowl ads, kind of you know, grifting and, and spruiking the whole thing and saying it's the, you know, the future. So um, I can understand that the average person is kind of like, ah, oh, like, am I about, you know, get that FOMO and, and, and miss yep. out on the thing. So, um, but yeah, I, I think be vigilant is definitely the best way to go. Um, awesome. Well, I really appreciate you, you coming on. And uh, are there any kind of parting words you wanted to say to anybody about just web three in general, or also how to, how to kind of stay up to date with what you're doing. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my general parting words would be, you know, don't, don't buy the, the marketing speak and the, the sort of Chrome that people are putting on this stuff. Um, you know, they've given it the number as though it is definitely going to be the, the future of the web and that you should, you know, hitch your, uh, cart to this horse right now before it's too late. But I think that, the, the technology just does not back that up as a likely outcome. Um, as far as where to follow my work, you can find my website, web3isgoinggreat.com. There's also a Twitter account, which is at web3isgreat. Um, and then me personally, I'm molly0xfff on Twitter. Awesome. I'll make sure to link to all of that in the description as well. So thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for awesome. having me.